Thanks for joining us. The following is a presentation of Ignite Global Ministries and features the teaching of Pastor Ben Dixon. Pastor Ben has a vision of strengthening the church to impact the world. He serves as lead pastor at Northwest Foursquare Church in Federal Way, Washington. God wants to pour out heavenly encounters with his spirit. He truly wants to encounter you. God wants to touch our hearts. God wants to encourage us. The Holy Spirit wants to make Jesus more real to us. He is always wanting to encounter us in in our lives. But I've learned this, and that is when you don't turn an encounter into discipleship, something inevitably is going to be wrong with your Christianity. I, I, like everybody else, I want to experience God. I want to feel his presence. I want to hear his voice. I want to be touched by God. I want to see a vision. I want to dream a dream. I want to receive a prophetic word. I want to, all of that, amen. I want to be under the spout where the glory comes out. I want to encounter God, but I've watched how encounters don't always turn into discipleship. And when the crowd does not become the committed, something inevitably is wrong in the substructure of our Christianity. And so really, the the reason that I give announcements personally is not because I have a need at our church for people to attend more things. I mean, to be really honest with you, if COVID did anything to the church, which it did, one of the things it did is simplify what this is all about. This is all about Jesus. This is all about his word. This is all about knowing him, walking with him, and making him known. But we can't just go from an encounter to an encounter. We've got to go from an encounter to discipleship. And when we are disciples, we will make disciples. When we are disciples, we will share the gospel. But it is disciples that do those things. Not just people looking for another touch. And so at Ignite Revival Gathering, what we want to do is encounter the Lord together, but we want to convert that encounter into discipleship. And when we do that, we will change the world. That will happen. Many of Jesus' disciples, I mean, they were like walking in a perpetual encounter with the living, with the risen, eventually the risen Lord himself, with Jesus the Christ. And they had these encounters, but Jesus corrected them. Jesus encouraged them. Jesus taught them. Jesus trained them. They saw miracles. And then, I mean, Jesus would also, um, he would correct them in the same breath. You know, that's what he would do. And they needed every last bit of it because discipleship was what it was about. And I've watched, you know, especially in the Pentecostal church, which is my particular flavor, I have watched people chase an encounter with the Lord and it never be converted into something substantive that would bring transformation to other people's lives. And so we have to be a people of both and. You understand what I'm saying? We have to be a people of both and. But for, um, I was talking to my wife the other night. This is not even the message. And I do have one. Exodus chapter 2. Exodus chapter 2, 3, 4, 5. And Mark 9. I'm going to get to all of it tonight. Under 30 minutes. Watch me do it. Pray for your pastor. Somehow. I was talking to Bridget the other night and I was, um, or the other day, I don't, time escapes me right now. But I was talking to her about how we used, I used to do a lot of conferences. I spoke at a lot of conferences. I met a lot of wonderful people. We had them, many of them. 
I spoke at 100 camps. I mean, I don't know how many, lots. I spoke at camps. I was kind of a revivalist in a a sense, an evangelist. I would come and preach, and usually I'd preach the things other preachers didn't want to preach (laughs) because I just didn't know any better. Give me the tithing message or whatever. Give me the, what do you want me to talk about? I'll talk, give me the hardest thing. I'll talk about homosexuality in the church or whatever. I don't care. I mean, just if it's in the Bible, we should talk about it. That's sort of my MO. But, and anyhow, I would travel and speak on all this stuff and I'd see the power of God and I, and I got to reap where others had planted. You understand what that means? Like other people would plant and they would water and then I just got to come and, and reap the harvest. I didn't have to pastor anybody. I didn't have to walk through the difficulties and the trials and the storms. You understand? We all have them. And that's why it's easy to go to a conference and come back and feel like, oh, man, we had an amazing time. But you've got to to go from encounter to discipleship. I've watched a lot of people not make that conversion. They haven't done it yet. And and they want to be fruitful in their life. But they often don't cross the threshold to do that because that's going to cost you something. That's going to cost you something. To go from experiencing God to giving away what he's given to you. That will cost you something to see other lives change. But it will also give more to you than you imagine. Isn't that true? It's the greatest blessing to give away what God's given to you. Freely you have received. Freely you shall give. And I was telling Bridget, one of the, one of the things we did over the years is we stopped all of our conferences. We used to do them all the time. And I stopped doing them because I got really kind of upset that I couldn't get people to step two and three and four. They wanted to come and receive a word. They wanted to come and um, get prayed for, and all that was wonderful. And I'm not down on that. You, You have to understand my heart. Like, I really believe that we need to encounter the Lord. I mean, I'm thoroughly Pentecostal, not a little bit. I'm there, sold on that. I mean, I love everybody else, but that's where I'm at. And But I, it's not okay. It's not okay to stop in receiving. Amen. Do you understand what I'm saying tonight? It's not okay because something will happen. We'll get disillusioned at some point. At some point, we'll get disillusioned when we're not giving away what God's given to us, right? And that's not what Christianity was, was meant to be. It was meant to be receiving and giving away. So we stopped all our conferences and all those things for uh, a couple years. Um, I wasn't bitter about it. I just wanted, I started a, a school is what I did, an immersion discipleship school. We've started it here, actually. And it, I realized something very quickly. Two things. Number one is we had eight, uh, 10 classes, and class number 10 was called evangelism. And the class called evangelism had minimum 50% less than every other class. And it was one of the most important things to the heart of Jesus, That was one thing because we get scared and we don't want to share and and then we kind of push it off like that's for other people. Well, that's not my message tonight, but I learned that. That was the first thing. The second thing is I couldn't get people to come every single week to get instructed to do something outside of the class. And I just thought, wow, I've got my work cut out for me, you know, (laughs) and I begin to pray that way. I begin to ask God to make the body of Christ mature, mature that we could not only eat the food, but then we could distribute it as well. And that picture of Jesus with his disciples next to him when he multiplied five loaves and two fish, you remember that? It's amazing because they got to be distributors of the miracle. And that does something to you when you get to become the distributor of the miracle. They're the ones that got to bring the bread and the fish to people. Sometimes when people read that story, they might see themselves, they just see Jesus doing the miracle and they say, God, would you do a miracle in my life like you did there? See, 
you have to know who you are in the story. Some people want the miracle. I want you to take my five loaves and two fish, and I want to sit down, and I want you to just bring it to me, amen, and I want to receive the miracle. That's where a lot of us stay, but we've got to get up from sitting down, waiting for the miracle, and realize that he wants us to distribute the miracle like the disciples did. They were the ones that got to bring the five loaves and the two fish broken by the hands of Jesus to the 5,000 people. That's the hunger that we need from wanting the miracle to distributing the miracle. And that's the change that I I think revival not only awakens God's people, we get touched by the Lord, but then we get trained to give away what God's given to us. If that conversion doesn't happen, the church never leaves the building. And if the church never leaves the building, every revival that starts will always stop. Every revival that starts will always stop. If it's confined to the walls the enemy won't even mess with us. He won't even mess with us. He'll let us have our party indoors. But the minute it comes outside, he's going to start the irritation, if not oppression. Anyways, turn your Bibles to Exodus 2. Did I already tell you to do that? That's because I want to make sure you did it. You know, I want to talk to you. I don't know if I have a title for a message, but if I, if I titled it in, in my head, this is what it would sound like. I don't have it on my paper, but... Um, it, w- it would be like, uh, it gets worse before it gets better. How about that? Did you come to be encouraged tonight? I've, I, I believe I received a revelation today, actually, from the Holy Spirit, and I, I, I believe it's for you. So I'm just going to put it to you like that. I won't claim it's all God, but I will say it to you that way. It gets worse before it gets better, but it does get better. So hang on to that. Amen. The story of Exodus is very powerful. We've been working through a lot of Old Testament um, story to really understand the heart of God and how he brings us into a glorious freedom. Jesus the Christ has brought us, God's people, into a glorious freedom. And the problem is, is that we don't always walk in that freedom in a very real way. And we question it. Has God really paid for my full freedom? Does Jesus really mean free when he says free? What does the Greek word mean? Because I'm not, work, I'm not walking in that full freedom. Pastor Ben, I hear you talking about it. I believe that Jesus does set some people free. But there's this thing, these things in my life that are not fully free yet. Or I've been walking with God for a long time and then bam, I hit something and up crops this issue that I thought I had dealt with. And now it's right in front of my face again. And so I'm pounding on the issue of freedom because I truly believe that the relevant church of today is the church that actually facilitates the freedom that the Spirit of God truly brings. And it's a freedom that goes with you to your home. It's a freedom that drives with you in your car. It's a freedom that sits with you at your job. It is a freedom that speaks through you to your spouse It is a freedom that goes with you wherever you go because it is the freedom that God gives through Jesus Christ. It is not sort of regulated to our time of worship. It's not regulated to a building or a property. It is free and it is full. And he wants to bring it all the way into into our hearts until it manifests through everything that we are. Freedom is ours in Jesus Christ. I'm going after this because I want God's people to be so free. I believe that's the heart of the Lord. 
When Jesus came into the synagogue in Luke chapter 4, the scroll was handed to him and he finds that place in Isaiah chapter 60. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to preach the good news to the poor, to set the captives free. And I see Jesus looking into our eyes saying, I came to set you free. And if there is any flinching in us when Jesus the Christ looks into our eyes and says freedom, then we've got to be able to stand tall and strong and look into the Lord's eyes and receive all that he intended. When he said it, he meant it. When he died, he died for it. When he rose from the dead, he proved it. And he says it to everybody here today. We're going after it. When we look back in the story of Exodus, we see how God's people, Israel, were in bondage for 430 years. Now, there's something that oppression does to us. Now, this is true for all of us. Now, this can be physical oppression. Some of us, depending on who you are and where you come from and what your background is, oppression might be something you've experienced more than others. But all of us have experienced spiritual oppression. And oppression has the power to sort of make us settle down and stop thinking things are all that bad. We sort of settle under the level of our oppression and we begin to live there. Like I don't, like in the the physical world, I don't know how some people can live in a world that's like negative 35 degrees. That is oppressive to me. Likewise, I don't know how some people can live in a world that is 120 degrees outside. I would melt. Do you understand what I'm saying? I mean, that might be a good thing in part. Part of me, you know, I, I, part of me could melt, you know. This is a bad joke. You don't have to laugh. But that, you know, in the natural world, that weather to me is oppressive. But people find a way to make their abode in that type of climate. They really do. You know, spiritually, people do the same thing. They settle into the level of their oppression, and they begin to live there like that's normal. But something happens. God will begin to wake his people up. For example, if you and I know that we have freedom in Christ, but that freedom has not fully manifested in our life, what God will do, especially in a revival gathering, is he'll wake us up, and he'll say, hey, What you're living in is not where you're supposed to be living. And we've been settling into that place for years. Maybe it's our marriage. Maybe it's our parenting. Maybe it's our home life. Maybe it's the way we treat people. Maybe it's something that we don't want to tell anybody. Maybe it's a secret sin. Maybe it's a cycle from the past. Whatever it is, we'll settle into that place. And in revival, God will wake us up and we'll look at that thing and go, that isn't supposed to be in my life. Well, that happened to the people of Israel. And it says here in Exodus chapter 2 and verse 23, they they have been going through um, this 430 years of oppression. And the Bible here says that God begins to hear their cry. But listen, verse 23. Now it came about in the course of those many days that the king of Egypt died. And the sons of Israel sighed because their bondage. And they cried out and their cry for help because of their bondage, rose up to God. Now, I want to say this. The the, the Bible does not say that they cried out prior to that because their oppression got worse and worse and worse over those 430 years. It didn't start out just like full-blown slavery. That's not how it started out. 
They started living in the land of Goshen. They came there because of their brother. And then they multiplied in the land over many years. And there was another Pharaoh who did not honor his allegiance to Joseph. And over many years, these people, Israel, multiplied. And the new Pharaoh of Egypt thought, I've got slave labor right here. So he began to oppress them. Slowly but surely, they became slaves. And 430 years of this, they had endured. And finally, they broke up out of that and began to cry out. This is what it says. They cried out. And they cried out for help because their bondage, as their bondage rose up to God. So God heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God saw the sons of Israel, and God took notice of them. I, w- I want to say to you, God hears the cries of his people. When they realized that bondage was too great, it says they sighed. They sighed. Another Pharaoh, another layer of bondage, they sighed. God listened to his people. What did he do? He rose up a deliverer. You know the story? Uh, Moses, from the time he was born, there was something special about him. He gets raised in Pharaoh's home for such a time. And he, he kills an Egyptian because an Egyptian is beating a Hebrew slave. He has to flee. He flees out into the, the, the wilderness and marries a Midianite woman. And uh, now he's a shepherd way out here, far away from where he was raised. He could have been um, second in command, most likely, in all of Egypt. I mean, he was next in line. And and this is an amazing story. In Exodus chapter 3, he sees a burning bush, and he turns aside to see this side, a bush that is burning but doesn't fully burn up. You know the story, and the the Lord says to him, take off your shoes for the ground you're standing on is holy ground. He has an encounter with God, and God calls Moses to deliver his people, and we read about that negotiation all the way to chapter 4 and verse 26. God calls Moses. Why? Because he heard the cry of his people. God sends a deliverer. To us, he sent Jesus. And Jesus sets us free from all of our sin. But God raised up a deliverer. And then we see something very interesting. That as God calls Moses, he says, I want you to go to the people. And Moses goes to the people with his brother Aaron. And he tells them what the God of their ancestors is going to do. And this is what it says here in Exodus chapter 4. And uh, verse 27. I'll read it for you if you don't have it. Now the Lord said, said to Aaron... Go to meet Moses in the wilderness. So he went and met him in the mountain of God and kissed him. Moses told Aaron all the words the Lord with which he had sent to him and all the signs that he had commanded him. God told Moses what he needed to do and how he was going to deliver the people. And so Moses tells Aaron. And then Moses and Aaron went and assembled all the elders of the sons of Israel. And Aaron spoke all the words which the Lord had spoken to Moses. And he then performed the signs, the evidence that this was going to happen in the sight of all the people. Listen to this, verse 31. So the people believed, and when they heard the Lord was concerned about the sons of Israel, and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed low and worshipped him. So the people receive a deliverer. They've been crying out because they were under great bondage. Now God raises up Moses and sends Moses and Aaron, who's now his mouthpiece, to tell the people, God has heard you, and he's going to deliver you. Here's how he's going to do it. And they performed the miraculous sign as evidence that it's going to happen. And the people said, man, this is exciting. God heard our prayer. 
Our bondage will be no more. He's going to set us free. Could, could you imagine you're under slavery, you're under bondage, and you sighed and you begin to cry out to the Lord, and now God is answering you, and you're starting to see it. I mean, for the first time in your bondage, you realize, man, God's going to do something about this. I bet you that they were really, really excited. That's what the Bible would call a promise. That's what the Bible would call a promise, a promise of deliverance. That's what the people have, and that's what they receive. But friends, that's not the end of the story. I mean, receiving a promise and a truth from God is amazing. Like I've been saying it to you all night so far, since I got the microphone, freedom, freedom, freedom. Freedom is yours in Christ. Now listen to this, though. Exodus chapter 5 and verse 1. I want to tell you there's a breakdown before there's a breakthrough. Listen to this. Afterward, Moses and Aaron came and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go, and they may celebrate a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should... You like how I did that? Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and besides, I will not let Israel go. Why are you even asking? And then they said, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go for three days journey into the wilderness that we might sacrifice to the Lord our God. Otherwise, he will fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you draw the people away from their work? Get back to your labor. Now follow this carefully. Again, Pharaoh said, look, the people of the land are now many and you would have them cease from their labors. So the same day, Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters over the people and their foremen saying, you are no longer to give the people straw to make bricks as previously. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. But the quota of bricks, which they are making previously, you shall impose on them. You are not to reduce any of it because they are lazy. Therefore, they cry out, let us go and sacrifice to our God. Let the labor be heavier on the men and let them work at it so that they will pay no attention to these false words. So the taskmasters of the people and their foremen went out and spoke to the people saying, thus says Pharaoh, I am not going to give you any straw. You go and get straw for yourselves wherever you can find it, but none of your labor will be reduced. So the people scattered through all the land of Egypt to gather stubble for straw. The taskmasters pressed them saying, complete your work quota, your daily amount, just as when you had had straw. I could go on and on all the way to verse 18. Here's what happens. Moses goes before Pharaoh, and not only Moses and Aaron, but all the people think Moses is going to go to Pharaoh. He's going to tell them what we got to do. He's going to tell them that our God said this, and it's no muss, no fuss. The promise will happen. Amen. Is that what happens? No. There's a breakdown before there's a breakthrough. I want to tell you something. When you get a promise from God, and when you begin to take a step towards what the Lord says to you in your life and what he has for you, I want you to hear this as loud and clear as I can possibly deliver it to you. Sometimes you take a step forward and you get knocked two steps back. Sometimes when you begin to advance in God, what you recognize is that the enemy wants to rush in and try to stop what God wants to do. I have had this happen in my life so many times, I can't even count. And sometimes for us as the people of God, we are not prepared for the warfare that is attached to the promise. 
And that is why God's people have to be resilient. God's people have to be strong. God's people have to have endurance or we are not going to make it to the place of promise. But there is a promise of God and he wants to give us the endurance to get to where we're supposed to go just as much as the promise itself. It is going to be required. And sometimes we're not ready for that warfare. We think, I got a promise. I got a promise. And he going to do it. And he going to do it. And he going to, you know, we think that's going to, you know. And then you get thumped by the devil and you can't, you don't even know it's the devil. You don't know it's a demonic spirit. You don't realize there's an opposing force of wickedness to come against you. And all of a sudden we begin to blame God. Where are you? I thought you said, I thought you said. That is the voice of the devil. I thought God said. Did God really say? That's not God. That's not our voice in the midst of believing God. That is the voice of the enemy being projected through our experience, not based on his word. Because we have a promise and it's not our experience, so we believe our experience rather than the promise. Because it's going to take something from us. Are you telling me that I'm going to have to suffer to get to where I'm going to go? Are you telling me that i got to walk a little walk and talk a little talk and believe for longer than a couple days? You might have to believe for a couple years. But it's worth it. It's always worth it. He's worth it. So people say to me, Pastor Ben, I'm not living in this freedom thing you're talking about. You know, I mean, I just want a little religion. I just want a little glory. I want a little feeling. I want a little goosebump, you know. And you know what we do? We settle for the goosebumps. We settle for the goosebumps. Friend, stop settling for the goosebumps. I'm jealous for you and I to walk in fullness and full freedom. I'm jealous for that. So I'm passionate about it. I want all of God's people to walk in all of that freedom and all of that fullness. And that's in every place, not just in this place. It's got to leave this place. What we say here and what we pray here cannot stay here. It's got to go out there. And if it doesn't, we have not received the full breakthrough. I'm telling you. But what you have to know is the minute we get a promise and we begin to move forward in God and believe him and take hold of something, those taskmasters, let's just say it's a parallel for us, those demonic forces of wickedness that Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter 6 are as real as it gets. And if you haven't experienced that yet, friend, you will. And I'm just trying to be a good pastor by telling you what's coming. There are a lot of people that believe that we can take authority over the enemy, meaning that we never have to face him. No, we face the enemy in the name of the Lord. We face the enemy with the word of the Lord. We face the enemy in the power of the Lord, but we face the enemy. And God's people have to not run. So many times it's easy to run. Friend, I'm not sitting here telling you I haven't, wanted to run sometimes or haven't been tempted. I'm not, I'm not going to lie to you. Sometimes I've been disillusioned too. So have you. I know you have. But God wants us to get past goosebumps. I mean, some people are just believing for a little bit more glory. I want to believe for federal way to get saved. I want to believe for every family member to come to Christ. I want to believe for every drug addict to get off the drugs. 
I want to believe for some real stuff to happen in our lives, but we've got to stop settling for goosebumps. Like, oh, I just got to go out there and find the straw and make the bricks. Don't say nothing. You know, you know what happens? We start convincing ourselves that the oppression we were living under wasn't that bad. That's what we do. You ever done that before? You begin to break through into the Lord and then opposition comes. And you're like, oh man, I'll just go on back. I just go on back to my seat. I think I was doing fine right there. Everything was good. The enemy wasn't released against my life. I didn't have any conflict, no muss, no fuss. It was great. I don't think it was really that bad. I didn't need to get up and shout and dance. I didn't need to do all that. No, you, you needed to do more than that. Because it was going to take more than that. I'm a little excited. Exodus 5.1. I told you this was Ignite Revival Gathering. So I expect to, I'm not yelling at you, man. I'm, I'm yelling with you, you know. I mean, really. I really am. I, I want to see God move in power. I know you do too. But, but my point is this. Sometimes it gets worse before it gets better. Sometimes it does. Exodus chapter 5 and verse 19 through 23, Israel begins to question Moses. You've got to hear this. It says this, The foremen of the sons of Israel saw that they were in trouble because they were told, You must not reduce your daily amount of bricks. When they left Pharaoh's presence, they met Moses and Aaron. Oh, I bet they did. And they said to them, May the Lord look upon you and judge you, for you have made us odious odious, my bad, in Pharaoh's sight and in the sight of his servants to put a sword in their hand to kill us. You have released a promise, but it was a promise of death, not of life. What you did was not good. It was, it was bad. Then Moses returned to the Lord and said, oh Lord, why have you brought harm to this people? Why did you ever send me? Ever since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done harm to this people. See, that's what happens. All of a sudden, not only the leader, not only Moses and Aaron, all of the people, everybody now has a problem with any type of opposition. I would rather have the oppression I lived under than begin to break through and have to experience more. It's understandable. It's understandable. But I believe there's a parallel here um, for us. And, and I want to say this to you. The breakthrough that God wants to bring, because we say that, God, give us breakthrough. Lord, give us breakthrough. We want breakthrough. We want breakthrough. But we don't realize breakthrough comes on the heels of follow through. You've got to stay in it. You've got to stick it out. Amen. We've got to pray it through. And there's something about the staying and the keeping power of the Lord where we're true to God and his word over a period of time, then we see what God promises come to pass. How many people I've walked with in discipleship, and you as well probably, where people begin to struggle with something, and as they go towards freedom in that thing, it just starts to get, it's like they get a little bit of reprieve, and then it gets worse all of a sudden. And God is rooting it out. Some things begin to come to the surface so God can excavate that stuff and do another planting of the Lord. He wants to replace it. He wants to displace it. And we can't in those seasons settle back. We've got to move forward. Sometimes it gets worse before it gets better. And you might be saying, well, what do we have to do? And here's a thought that I have. Your mentality is your reality. It really is. I know it rhymes, but I like it. It's true. The way you're thinking about a situation, honestly, it either draws on the Lord in prayer or you get reduced down to whatever you were, were or worse. 
You get reduced down to whatever you were or worse, or you draw on God through prayer. This is why, friends, as we pray, I think the strategy of hell is to make every person in this room believe that prayer is nothing and that God does nothing when we pray. He doesn't listen. He doesn't respond. He doesn't hear us. He doesn't care. I believe the strategy of hell is to not only get people to stop praying, but it's to first get them to believe that God doesn't answer prayer. And when we stomp that lie and remove it and realize again, the real God, the only God is listening to us. He loves us. He calls us sons and daughters in Christ. When we get a hold of that truth and we begin to lift our voices to God in prayer, there is no waste of time in that. God, Father God, hears us in the name of Jesus and answers through the power of the Holy Spirit. How many of you have seen that happen in your life? And so God wants to remind us that sometimes it might get worse before it gets better, but we've got to be ready for that so that we can lay hold of God in prayer and pull down the promise of God and not give up. Endurance is needed for us to have an actual, a real, a true revival. You can have an encounter and an encounter and an encounter and wonder why you're not getting better, you're not getting brighter, you're not getting more righteous, you're not living more holy, your attitude isn't changing, you're not looking more like Jesus. And sometimes the the reason for that is that we haven't moved from that place of bondage to the place of freedom as we follow Christ. We need the endurance to get from where we are to where he's going. And if we don't do that, we're just going to keep asking for a little bit more. Lord, I just want to feel something. I just want to hear something. I just want, no, friend, you want to walk in something because of who we are. It's not foolish. It's awesome. You say, well, Ben, is that only in the Old Testament? Well, I'm so glad you asked that question because I have a... I have a verse I want to show you before we close. And I'm getting ready to close. You didn't know it, but it's true. Now, I didn't, I'm not sermonizing you here. These are just thoughts I had. Might feel like it. Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9 and uh, verse 17. I wrote this down. I preached on this verse before. I, I don't want to pre- re-preach it. I just want to share with you a thought that I had. This is where Jesus goes up on the Mount of Transfiguration with a few of his disciples. You know the story. He comes down and he encounters a father who has a son that is suffering uh, in ways that are hard to describe. The scripture gives us a little language for it, but it's hard to describe. And this is what it says. I'll start in verse 14. When they came back to the disciples, they come down from the mountain, they encounter the disciples. They saw a large crowd around them and some scribes arguing with them. Immediately, when the entire crowd saw Jesus... They were amazed and began running up to greet him. And he asked them, what are you discussing with them? And one of the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought you my son possessed with a spirit which makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it slams him to the ground and he foams at the mouth. Now, stop right there. Can you imagine your child? Even if you don't have a child, can you imagine a child experiencing that? Your child, Bridget and I have four kids. Can you imagine your child slamming to the ground, foaming at the mouth? I mean, like an animal, like an uncontrollable animal. Okay, so put yourself there. This father wants a, a, a breakthrough, doesn't even describe what this father wants. And, he, and he's willing to see if Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth or his disciples can do anything about it. 
Whenever it seizes him, it slams into the ground. He foams at the mouth and grinds his teeth, stiffens out. I told your disciples to cast it out. They could not do it. And he answered them and said, Oh, unbelieving generation, I preached on this part. How long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. When he saw him, immediately the spirit threw him into a convulsion. And falling to the ground, he began rolling around, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, how long has he been, this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. Can you imagine that? It has often thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him, to kill him is what that means. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us out. Take pity on us. I read that today and I thought, take pity on us. I want pity. You know, sometimes that's what we want. Take pity. Feel, feel sorry for him. Take pity on us. If you can do anything, just. Jesus wants to do more than take pity on us. He's got more in his heart. You know, to me, that's just. That, that, that summarizes sometimes how I think we can come to him. Take pity on us. If you can do anything. Would you touch us or could you do something? Just can you have, can you feel bad for, can you do something? Take pity. He goes on from there. Listen to this. Jesus said to him, if you can. The father said, if you can do anything, right? Take pity on us. Jesus said, if you can, if you can. Heaven's view into every person's situation in this room. And, and hear me, this is no self-help message. This is no prosperity gospel message. This is no God wants to give you a little bit more than you have right now. This isn't about your house or anything. This is, I want you to hear me. Heaven's view of our situation. Jesus looks at everything that we're going through. And if we say to him, if you can do anything, have pity on us. He says, if I can If I can, I want to, he looks at us. I came to set the captives free. Not kind of, not a few, not the special, not just the chosen, but anybody that comes to me. If I can, of course I can. If I'm able, of course I'm able. If I desire, of course I desire. God wants to set people free. If I can, heaven's view is full when he looks at us. I mean, that's how I see it. That's how I pray it. That's what I'm believing for. I'm I'm not believing for less. I'm encouraging you to adopt that view. I don't even know how you would pray. How would we pray without that view? How would we pray? What would we ask God to do if we did not believe that the Jesus that we're following looks at us and our situation and says, I can and I will. We'll say, I'm not walking in the full promise yet. Well, look what happens here. Look, look at this. I don't think I ever saw it. I saw it today. Immediately, this is what happens. Jesus said to him, if, I, if, I, if you can, all things are possible to him who believes. He reminds him of something very powerful. Immediately, the boy's father cried out, And said, I do believe, help my unbelief. So it brought something, Jesus brought something more out of him. Verse 25, when Jesus saw that a crowd was rapidly gathering, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you deaf and mute spirit, I command you, come out of him and do not enter him again. 
Verse 26, after crying out and throwing him into terrible convulsions, it came out and the boy became so much like a corpse that most of them said he was dead. I'm not sure if you ever read that before, but Jesus commands the spirit out of him. I don't know, have you ever seen a spirit come out of somebody? It's an interesting thing. I haven't seen this before. It says he commanded the spirit out of him. The spirit came out of him, but with a fight, started convulsing, foaming, rolling around. Okay, And then it says that the boy turned a different color, basically, and everybody that saw him thought he was dead. I I mean, I don't know if you think about it this way, but I want to say it this way. It still looks like a failure. The boy looks like he's dead. There is a breakthrough still even yet. And I'll bet you, I'm just thinking this, that the kid probably was dead. But look what Jesus did. But Jesus took him by the hand and raised them up, and he got up. Jesus is good at raising things up, isn't he? He raised him up. Everybody that saw this, and I want you to picture it. If you were there and you saw the boy after the spirit came out, it says everybody that saw him thought the boy was dead, like dead, like dead, dead, real dead. Not, is he dead? He, kind of, he looks a little pale. Dead means dead in the Greek. Before there is a breakthrough, right, sometimes what we have, it looks like the opposite. But Jesus doesn't just stop there. He reaches down and he grabs him up. I want to say that's like a metaphor for our life. He he casts some stuff out. He calls it out. He delivers it out. But Jesus is still reaching down and he's pulling us up. He's not done yet. He's doing that for you, and he wants to do it through you. And this is what, amen. This is what we've got to know. I'm I'm closing. If you, worship team, you want to come back up, and we, 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 we have to go back to worship now. We have to. It looked worse before it was better. Here's what I want to say to you. The enemy, there's somebody put a dime up here. Is that like a prophetic thing? Did somebody, are you trying to pay me? What happened there? Is that what this is worth? <laughs> Pastor Ben want to give you a bonus. Well, I'm taking that. Amen. <laughs> you know, take what I can get. There's a dime up there. That's not the first time that's happened. Is that, which one of you would do something? Can you put something bigger next time? Enough to get a coffee, maybe? I can't even tip somebody at Starbucks with that without them getting offended. You know, you better not have done that. Increased struggle is often a sign of warfare when the enemy does not want to let go. Don't you think for a second you don't have demonic warfare against your life? Don't you think that? I've never seen it. You don't have to see it. That's the thing about it. It's not visible. Have you seen God? You've seen a manifestation of the Lord. But this is what we're talking about, spiritual opposition. We're in a season right now, listen, it, it, it may get harder, right? It may get harder. It's been devastating for some of you. Be honest with me. It's been very difficult. For some of us, it's like it's not been that bad. But it, I think spiritually speaking, I think for some, I think it's been extremely painful, extremely difficult. Here's the deal. You're resilient. You're strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. You have the Holy Spirit of God. We're not just going to get through it. We're going to grow through it. And we're going to do it together. 
And we're not called to get mad at each other. We're, tr- we're called to stand against the enemy. The enemy is the one wanting to oppose us. The enemy is the one wanting to come against us. The enemy is the one wanting to stop us from what? Bringing glory to God. Naming the name of Christ. Sharing and showing that Jesus is good. Spiritual warfare is often meant to prevent the breakthrough that's on the other side. Can you get to the place where what's next is inevitably the breakthrough and the freedom that you've been praying for and looking for? This is what I'm after in my life. I'm not all the way there yet. It often gets worse before it gets better. This should not intimidate us, not even in the least. Let me share with you this last picture from the Lord. I saw a vision and I, as I was praying about this, and by the way, I hope everything I said makes sense, but I, they, I just wrote down some thoughts tonight. I had a vision of someone driving to an important destination and both hands were on the wheel strongly, kind of like our daughter's driving right now and they're telling her 10 and 3, I, or uh, 10 and, no, it's not 10 and 2, they're telling them 9 and 3 now. I don't understand that. They're telling them nine and three. I said, it's 10 and two in my car. It's 10 and two. Thumbs out, 10 and two. But they had their hands on the wheel, both hands. And the car was driving and then bam, it hit a bump. And the car was swerving all over the place. And the person had to let go of the wheel with one of their hands to sort of stabilize themselves. This hand, they're trying to stabilize the car. This hand, they're trying to stabilize themselves. And the car was going all over the place. And as I'm watching this in a vision, I'm realizing there is no way this car doesn't hit something else. Not only is it going to hurt the car, but it's going to hurt them. It's going to hurt everything. And as I was watching this, I just realized, and I, I sort of heard it in my heart, grab a hold of the wheel and it will stabilize everything. And here's what I believe that that relates to. I didn't hear a voice say that, but I knew to do that. I want to say this to you tonight. Grab a hold of God's promise, whatever that is for our lives, and it will stabilize everything else in us. One of the things that has not been done over the last year and a half, and it might be by the time we're all done, two and a half years. One of the things that I have not heard a lot about is grabbing a hold of the promises of God. We've got to grab the promises of God, speak the promises of God, pray the promises of God, and we will see his promise manifested in our lives. Grab a hold of the promise and everything, everything will stabilize. And that's what we're going to pray tonight. So here, would you stand with me and let's pray into this. Say, well, Ben, what is this for me tonight? I don't know. There's a lot in there for you. I I said a lot of things. If you feel like or you know in your life that you've been taking steps towards God, sometimes maybe uh, there's a few of you, you've been taking steps towards giving. I'm not going to give you a message on tithing or giving, but I can't tell you how many people I've taught to give unto the Lord and they start giving and they don't get more money. They start giving and all of a sudden it feels like I'm squeezed a little bit. But see, isn't that an interesting thing? That's all it takes sometimes is for us to do one thing that we know we ought to do. And then it's disproved. God's response to us or what God has for us is like, well, what if it takes years? Not even for us to get anything back or to be blessed uh, materially. But God might answer in some other way. Maybe it's giving. Maybe it's our attitude. Maybe it's sin. 
Maybe it's situations. Maybe we're crying out for loved ones and we haven't seen anything happen. I believe the promise of God is just as true today as it always has been. And I know you believe this as well. But when we come together at Ignite Revival Gathering, we've got to grab a hold of the promises of God for us and for our family. We've got to stabilize this whole car. And friends, I want to tell you, we need every person in this church to do the same thing on behalf of the church. I can't stabilize this car. I can't. If you look to me, there's things, I don't know always what to do. And we've got a lot coming. I don't know. I need, we need the people of God. We need the gifts of God to unify and to come around the promise of God, grab his promises, stabilize the car and drive to our destiny. Our destination in God is certain. However, we've got, we've got to grab a hold of the promises of God tonight. So here's what I want to do. I want to pray. If you feel like, man, I'm stepping towards God, but the enemy is attacking me, we want to collectively not only take authority over the enemy to sort of wish him out of your life, but we want to pray for strength to fill you, for the Holy Spirit of God to rise up in you and me to be resilient that whatever we face, it's a yes and amen no matter how long it takes. We're not backing down and we're not going away and we're not we're not going to stop this. We're moving forward. Amen. Father, we thank you in the name of Jesus today. And we're asking you, Lord, where we're finding some opposition, or maybe there's opposition to our freedom and the fullness that we have been given in Christ. We're saying yes to you no matter what, no matter how long it takes. God, we thank you that our destiny in you is secured not by our good works and not by our good behavior, but by our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we thank you that what you did on our behalf is more powerful than anything anybody can do against us. And we choose to believe your word tonight and your will tonight and your way tonight. And I ask you, Lord, help us to grab a hold of your promises. Your promises for our heart. Your promises for our home. Your promises for the ministry you've called us to. Your promises for the church your promises for our, our workplace, our employment, or anything else that we're facing, our attitude, our heart, anything, Lord, we grab hold of your promises. Yeshua, the deliverer, come and deliver us tonight. Deliver our minds, especially from a quick fix. Deliver us from wanting pity and going after freedom. Deliver us from oppression and settling down for less than and acting like that's okay. There's nothing more. It's just, just a little bit more and that's, that's all I need. No, God, I pray for a glorious vision to come and to just come and fill this place and fill our hearts, oh God. Fill us with your glorious vision. Let's ask him to do that right now. Thank you, Lord. Give us the endurance of an intercessor. Thank you, Lord. Now tonight, let's pray over our lives and pray over our church. Would you just begin to pray? And if you don't know what to pray, just pray that his fullness would come. Pray for his freedom in your family right now. Pray for him to complete what he began. Lord, we thank you tonight. We thank Thanks for listening. If you'd like more information about Ignite Global Ministries, please go to our website, igniteglobalministries.org. While there, check out our Immersion Discipleship School and the books Pastor Ben has written.